Hello everyone and welcome to a Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. Now, today is just going to be kind of a casual episode. Usually I pick a topic, I learn all about it, and then I kind of report back to you guys about what I've learned that week. Well, this week I just wanted to do like a chit-chat episode, kind of doing an update, like a little life update, but specifically about the homesteading skills that I have learned. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you may know that I have gotten really into the idea of homesteading. Now, we are only on three acres, so it's not like I'm running a full farm out here or like I'm not in a suburb. You know, we have an HOA that at the moment is trying to take away the um, rules that allow chickens. It's like under debate right now, which is very not great. So I'm going to go to this public meeting and like argue for chickens. Um, but the point of this is like I'm not on a hundred acres or something where I can just plant a huge garden that's completely self-sustaining and all of this. But I'm trying to learn all of these very good homesteading skills so that eventually, when hopefully we live on a lot of land, I can do that. I can have a big garden, I'll know how to preserve food. I've been in the practice for a while and things like that. The other part of this is it's a little on the prepping side. Um, I've wanted to have a bigger like stockpile of food. Now, it's not just like for a prepping purpose. A lot of it is just for convenience. Like I'm learning how to can spaghetti sauce and fruits and vegetables and things. And part of that is just like, let's say my family of 15 comes over and we want a last minute meal. I have like homemade stuff that I can just warm up and have a really, really quick meal because we want to entertain a lot. So part of what I've kind of stocked up on is these staples to host parties and all that. So I'll get more into that, but I want to do an update on the homesteading skills that I've learned and what else I am planning on learning. And also I'm making, or I have a YouTube channel all about this. It's just kind of getting started. I think I have like eight videos up there right now. So go check those out. It's just semi-homesteading with Abby. And I have been loving making these videos. It's so fun. I love video editing. Maybe my second career will be video editing. So I hope you enjoy the episode and let's talk about homesteading. thing I learned it was like the first thing I learned that I consider like a homesteading skill is making my own sourdough bread I just feel like being resourceful like that and making your own bread is like I, I thought it was going to be so rewarding and satisfying and it is it's like better than you would even think <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to do and that kind of requires some constant upkeep you I guess you can revive your sourdough starter if it's been sitting there for a while. This lady on my Instagram let her sit for months and then was able to revive it. So, you know, it's possible, but ideally you should be feeding a sourdough starter at the very least like once a week. So it's been good to kind of get on a rhythm and a routine with it, but I want to outline the, 
the journey, I hate that word, but the journey that I've been on with sourdough because it has honestly, it's been a roller coaster and I am so uh, satisfied with the point I'm at right now. It's like very fun to have something kind of go wrong with your sourdough, troubleshoot it, and then get it back kind of. So here's what went on. And really, I didn't have to troubleshoot that much because my aunts who do sourdough all the time basically told me the exact things to do. And I just kind of went rogue and it didn't work. So, um, okay, so here's what happened. So I originally, I don't know if you, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but I tried to make my own sourdough starter. I thought that would be like really good to to make my own from scratch. And I heard that using bread flour would work. Um, so I, I fed it for a couple days and at like two days, it was already doubling in size. So I thought, okay, this is a very, very good sign. But as I kept feeding it, I think you're supposed to feed it like every 12 hours and then 24 hours and stuff. And as I kept feeding it, it kind of got, it started rising less and less. And so I was concerned and then a bunch of life events happened. I basically didn't feed it for a while. And at that point I just was ready to make sourdough bread. I was like, I just honestly want to make a loaf. I don't want to have to start over on this sourdough starter that I don't even know is going to work the second time, honestly. So I just asked my aunt for some of her discard that I could feed and make bread from there. So the first day she brought over the discard, I fed the bread that night and made my first loaf like the next morning. I baked my first loaf the next morning because you have to let it sit overnight. And it turned out amazing. Like it was fluffy, great, you know, it rose well, like everything was very, very good. So for the next like three or four weeks, I would say I would feed it with that bread flour. And even the first time I fed it, it didn't really rise that much. Like it rose, it didn't double, it rose maybe an inch and a half. And you know, my aunt was like, well, it's better to catch it on the way up, like as it's still rising anyway. And so, you know, let's just give it a shot and bake it. And it worked like all four weeks it worked. But by the fourth week, I was like, this is really not rising very well. Like this is not that great. The bread would still turn out, which was the confusing part. Like the bread still turned out fine and it was still pretty fluffy, but I could tell it was getting a little bit, it was starting to get a little dense. Like it wasn't rising properly. So I didn't want to keep doing that and just kill my starter basically but I kept reading online that bread flour should work it was unbleached bread flour and they said that is perfect to feed your uh your starter now the other thing is my aunts and mom when she makes sourdough they all feed the sourdough with this whole wheat flour and I thought for some reason I got the flours mixed up I thought they got their you know, the flour that they made their dough with, I thought they got at King Supers. And then I thought they got their starter feeder flour at Costco. Well, I got them switched. So the whole wheat flour I was not getting because I thought it was only at Costco and I hadn't set up like my membership yet. I hadn't gone yet. And I kept forgetting to ask my mom to get some. And so eventually I remembered <laughs> that, um, 
Okay, well, before I get into that flour, so I'm still using the bread flour, but the online keeps saying, all these websites keep saying that feeding your starter with bread flour should work. So the other factor in this is that we are on a well, and I also was reading that sometimes if your tap water is too high or low in certain minerals, it can kill the yeast and cause it to not rise. So then for a maybe a week, maybe two weeks, I fed my starter multiple times a week, but with bottled water because, you know, they said to do that if you're not sure if your tap water is um, causing you issues. So I switched to bottled water and nothing helped. At that point, I was talking to my mom and realized that the whole wheat flour that I should have been feeding my sourdough the entire time was just at King Supers. So I went to go get that finally, and the literally the first time I fed my starter with that flour instead, it doubled immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is what I should have been doing the entire time. Like, that's, that's good. So I have been now, for the last like week and a half, been feeding it with the correct flour, and then I just do, you know, the when I add the 500 grams of flour to make my dough, that's when I use the bread flour. And let me tell you, this morning was the first time I actually baked the bread with, you know, this new feeding method with the whole wheat flour feeding the starter and then the bread flour just being this part of the dough. I didn't have time last week to actually make a loaf of bread. So this is the first loaf that I baked with it. And let me tell you, fluffiest bread ever like it rose even more than my good first loaf like it it's the best bread <laughs> ever um my one problem is that I keep forgetting salt like I I guess when I learned somehow in my mind I just compartmentalized the salt portion of the bread recipe as like just kind of a, like a side note and <laughs> every time well, not every time, but a lot of times when I'm making bread, I totally forget salt. Um, and it just makes it way worse. So, um, but I am so happy that my aunts have done sourdough for quite a while now before me, because if I didn't have them telling me like, hey, you should really try the whole wheat flour instead, because it works really well with, you know, I think there's more... I don't really know how it works, but there's like more organisms in there or more things they can eat or something. And so it, it, uh, grows and feeds the starter better. But if they hadn't, uh, said that and shown me the exact braid of flour, I might be troubleshooting that starter originally for way too long. So now I feel confident that if I ever did like stop sourdough and wanted to restart again, I couldn't make my own starter because I just need that whole wheat flour. It's way better and it works quicker. And I don't know if altitude has anything to do with it, but um, it seems my, my dough or my bread seems to turn out as to rise like as much as people at low altitudes, I think. So I don't think altitude, at least for me yet, has been a huge um, factor. The other thing sourdough related is I also am now trying to use my discard more which is really interesting i made um sourdough discard pancakes 
And my one flaw was that I didn't realize we had vegetable oil or that, that we did not have vegetable oil. And so I had to use olive oil. It turned out fine, but I'm sure it would have been better uh, with vegetable oil. But I love the idea that you can feed your starter and then when you discard it, you can use that for something also. Like I love the whole, that whole idea of just using every part of it and making your own bread. I Next, I want to make some white bread and experiment with some different types of um, sourdough bread because I've seen a lot of recipes about like herbed breads or people putting like a flour design on their bread and uh, I've seen these charcoal sourdough bread. So there's a whole world of sourdough outside this like one recipe that I have. And I love the one recipe we make sandwiches within eat it all the time and I'm bringing some over to my neighbors and things. So, I mean, I'm definitely loving that, uh, but I'm excited to experiment with other types of sourdough bread. Cause there's just a whole bunch out there that, um, that I should be making. Okay. The other update is I have been learning a lot about food storage. So like I was saying in the intro, I'm trying to build up like a supply of a lot of foods and supplies for around the house. So if we run out of paper towels, we're never actually out of paper towels. It's just, we have a ton downstairs on the gorilla racks. We have a ton of, you know, plastic utensils for when my family comes over and we want to host. We have, oh, we're out of ketchup. Well, we have a whole bunch downstairs and we can just rotate them through like a pantry. So I want a very functional working food storage area. But part of that, that I was learning about is dehydrating foods. And this has been really interesting. We bought a food dehydrator. And so on my YouTube video, I did a video where I just dehydrated one single red bell pepper and then I tried to rehydrate it in a meal and I really kind of made a mistake with the meal that I tried to dehydrate it in because it was kind of last minute and I didn't know what to make and I figured that egg bites were were gonna be fine because they said basically if you throw dehydrated peppers into kind of a watery recipe and then it soaks there for maybe like 15 or 20 minutes. They should just rehydrate totally by themselves. Otherwise you can boil water, throw them in for like five minutes and they will also rehydrate. But I figured I would just try throwing them into egg bites. The problem that I realized is that egg bites aren't liquidy enough to be considered a good rehydrator. They meant like throw them into a chili, you know? So I tried to throw them into a, egg white bites, the egg white started solidifying and the red bell peppers were not able to rehydrate in time. And so I bit into this <laughs> egg bite and the red pepper was like crunchy still. So it was kind of a fail, but I do love the idea of dehydrating and rehydrating foods because we make so many stews, chilies, like enchiladas, everything we cook has onions, red bell peppers, green bell peppers. We use so many peppers. And so part of what I really want to do is for convenience, say, 
okay, for dinner tonight, we're making this chili. Well, our chili, when we make a big pot, requires like six green bell peppers, two poblanos. It's a whole production. And so we're chopping for a very long time to get the onions, peppers, all of that into the chili. So what I want to do, because chili is such a watery meal that you just let simmer for a long time, I want to dehydrate a ton of peppers all at once, put them in a jar, measure out like what the equivalent of a dehydrated pepper is. Well, how do I explain this? Let's say a recipe calls for half of a green bell pepper and once you dehydrate it, that equals a tablespoon of dehydrated green bell peppers. I want to have it say, okay, this recipe requires one bell pepper. So I just go into a mason jar, scoop out one tablespoon and throw it in the pot. That would make dinner, especially these stews and chilies and everything, just so much easier to prepare, so much quicker. And I think that is something I really want to invest my time into building up uh, before we need it. So I'm trying to build a stockpile of these dehydrated foods so that our cooking experience is just a lot simpler because, you know, we both work sometimes. Um, I well, actually, I'm mostly at home now and so is my husband. But on the days that we get home late or have something and we just want to throw together a quick dinner, I want the cooking process to be as easy as possible. So I just went to the store and bought like 10 of each type of bell pepper and 10 onions. And over the course of the next few days, I'm going to start dehydrating all of them and storing them in our pantry. So I'm very excited to see how that works. I hope it works as well as I am theorizing it will because, you know, it could go wrong, I guess. I'm hoping that it all goes smoothly and we can make a really good chili with these dehydrated vegetables. I did try to just dehydrate and rehydrate a uh, bell pepper and the texture and the, um, what am I trying to say? The color and the texture and the taste all seemed to be well preserved. Like it came back and the texture was good and the color did change a little bit for a red bell pepper. It tended to look a little bit orange because you're supposed to blanch the vegetables before you dehydrate them. Apparently it helps them keep their taste and texture. So their taste and texture was good. Color changed a tiny bit. So very interesting. I never would have thought that like a year ago, I'd just be trying to build up a stockpile of dehydrated foods. Um, but that's where we are. And I've been having a great time. <laughs> uh, the other food preservation thing that is going on is pressure canning. Now I'm going to do an episode that updates you on how this actually went because I'm just getting started with this, but I've been learning all about canning. And it's funny because you can tell on some of these old school recipes, like it seems like the canning processes have kind of changed over time or the recommendations I should say have changed over time. But a lot of people just kind of go old school and do it like their grandmas have because a lot of people, let's say you're making jam and you're canning jam. I'm pretty sure that all of the women that I know that make jam usually just boil the, the mason jar, 
the water or the jam is boiling and then they just ladle hot jam into the mason jars you know make sure to not touch anything like use tongs and stuff put the lid on and as the jam cools the top seals on and from what I know I guess that has been fine for a long time but it sounds like there's new recommendations where you're supposed to be definitely canning with the water bath approach which is where let's say yes you do that whole method where the can you know you put the hot jam into the hot uh, jar you seal it up then you're supposed to put submerge it in a boiling water bath so that it fully kills all of the bacteria and there's no chance of mold now i think a lot of kind of old school canners will skip the water bath for that if they know that you know they haven't touched the inside of the jar or they're very careful with the cleanliness of the, the jam because the recipe that i saw did not talk about a water bath at all for the jam that i am about to make uh but so i learned about water bath canning which i think i can just do with the equipment i have here i have big pots and stuff like that the other method is pressure canning and so i bought a pressure canner and you're basically supposed to pressure can any low acidic food so meat poultry vegetables um, and then you can water bath can fruits and that is because these low acidity foods you have to get them very very hot to kill any of the um, spores of you know uh, what's it called botulism or whatever you can get botulism from uh, canning if you do not bring it up to a high enough temperature so boiling water only gets to 212 degrees and you need to get it up to like 240 degrees to kill all of the spores that can cause botulism so i have been really fascinated by that and i think that over the week i'm gonna actually be making my mom's tomato sauce like a big batch of it and i'm gonna be canning a bunch of the tomato sauce and then I want to do things like can our favorite soups so we have this whole thing where my husband loves a vegetable soup and a sandwich but I'm pretty sure the vegetable soup that he loves the most we can't find here or it seems to be out or I think I think the one that he really prefers um is not sold here or something so we found a couple good substitutes but i feel like i'm always buying the wrong one like i always forget what brand it is so i buy this vegetable soup and it has the wrong ingredients or something and so we found a recipe for vegetable soup that we love like it was perfect we both love it and it's great so i want to make a huge batch of that and just can a ton so we have a really big long backup of vegetable soup that we can just take out at any time and I know it will be the perfect soup and we don't have to go you know buy it at the store and it's going to be the wrong one like we know exactly what we are eating that we have made it and that we have canned it properly so that is going to be my adventure for the next probably couple weeks I'm going on a trip here um, at the end of the week but once I get back, I think I'm going to focus on canning a lot of soups 
because there's some soups that I've made that's really good. Our tomato soup I love. So I'm just excited to get these food storage systems in place and have a long, like a big stockpile of food that we really, really like. And again, if I want to last minute invite my family over for dinner, they say, oh, like what, whatever will we have? Okay, well now we have a bunch of soup at the ready. We have tomato sauce at the ready. We would just have to boil noodles. You know, all of this stuff where it's, it's just making everything more convenient in a pinch. So that has been really, really fun to learn about. And I'm excited to get started with the canning process. I see these homesteaders on Instagram with huge shelves of cans and they have, a lot of them have big gardens and so they have a big harvest and then they preserve, like they have a year round food supply that they have grown themselves because of preserving. Another food storage thing is that we ordered a half a cow that we're gonna be splitting with my aunt and uncle. So we'll end up having a quarter of a cow. So we have a freezer at the ready. I'm so excited because we basically stocked up for like two or three months of ground beef and it's already been so nice we get it at this local place that is actually way cheaper than the grocery store because you can buy it in bulk and they just have very reasonable prices and so we stocked up for like two or three months while we're waiting for our quarter of a cow to come in and it's already been just amazing to say like okay well we know we have all the meat for the week already. We don't have to buy that in our weekly grocery list. We just run down in the morning that we're going to make dinner and take it out to thaw the meat. And it's been, it's been great. So we got that. The one thing, the downside about that is like, we, we called them at one point and they said, oh, it's probably going to be like four to six weeks. Then we waited probably three to four weeks because we just I don't know, didn't get around to ordering it. And I guess the summer season is super, super busy. And it is now going to take four to six months to get the cow. So I hope that it's on the shorter end of that because I would really, really like the meat to come in. I really want that huge freezer full of beef. But we'll see. It might be up to six months. And from what I've heard, beef prices are skyrocketing. So I'd like it sooner rather than later. Okay, last homesteading update. I'm trying to think of any other big ones. The only other one that I can think of right now is that I got a composter, like a rotating composter. And so we are now recycling our organic materials um, and composting, which is very exciting. If you would have told me in college, in college, I was so kind of bitter, honestly, about recycling in general and about a lot of this environmental stuff because it was shoved down my throat in Boulder and I just could not take any more talk of it. I was like, if I hear one more thing about recycling, like I can't. But now fast forward five years, I am into composting and I'm gonna I'm like oh let's recycle our organic materials there's less waste you know and it's more of I just like the idea of taking something that you would throw away and then recycling it 
recycling it practically into something useful that I can put back into my own garden. So in the spring, when I have mature compost, I will be putting that in my garden beds to help, you know, retain water in the, the soil and improving the soil health and all of that. So it's been really, really fun to learn all these skills. I feel like I'm just, I've learned so much in the last two months and I have all of my YouTube video topics like planned out for basically a year, I think. And there's just so much more to learn. Like I have, there's just an unlimited amount. When, when you're really trying to learn homesteading skills, you can get super niche with it. Uh, I want to build my garden, you know, pretty soon. I hope we are allowed to get chickens because I really want to get chickens. Um, we're allowed to get bees, so we might become beekeepers, you know. So I'm just so excited for how this year is going to go, what I'm going to be learning about, and all the skills that I'm going to learn. I think I might get into woodworking, like who knows. And it's fun because it's a variety of things that you can learn each day. Like if I don't feel like learning something that week, I can choose from one of my other huge lists of skills. And then there's the maintenance too. Like once you know how to can and you're going through your canned goods, well then periodically you have to rebuild your stockpile and recan. So there's also these good rhythms that you get into, you know, feeding your sourdough starter once a week, baking bread. So not only do I like learning these new things, but I like having this routine of things that you need to maintain. I don't know. It is nice and I'm having a great time. So go subscribe to my YouTube channel because it's a lot of fun and I'm just in love with video editing to be quite honest. So I'm having a great time over there. That is all for today. I hope you liked this more chit chatty episode and I will see you on Thursday for another state podcast. So thank you all for listening and I will see you then. Bye everyone.